You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us once again today is our South Dakota resident and contributor to Ducks Unlimited Magazine, contributor to Ducks.org, Central Flyway Migration Editor. We'll go on and on and on. But John Pullman, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you. Hey, you know, I wanted to have you on here today. You know, we're kicking off fall. Um, everybody's rocking and rolling. And I wanted to touch base with you on a piece that you had done for the magazine several years back that I think is very handy for all waterfowlers, no matter where they are throughout the country. Seven great tips from guides. And I think, you know, one of the reasons for probably the idea behind this article is that guides, waterfowl guides are out there every day. You know, they are seeing everything from ducks and geese. You know, they're seeing the, 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 the good techniques, the good tactics, and they're also seeing the bad ones, you know, some different things that you can do wrong, the mistakes that some waterfowlers make. Uh, but I wanted to kind of get into this with you. Um, first of all, before we do, I just want to, you know, let you explain, you know, what was your approach to this article? And, you know, we kind of got the idea and you're really looking out for, you're looking for some of the top waterfowlers in the country here to get these tips from. But what was your approach to this article? Sure. Well, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of hinted all at it already that, you know, the, the, the folks that I talked to in this article and the, the people that I wanted to speak with, you know, they're out there day after day and they are, um, they are able to observe. I think more than anything, they're able, able to observe bird behavior, you know, ducks and geese and how they react to different tactics. Um, you know, whether that's through gear or calling or decoys or the weather or what may be. So, you know, that was the, the impetus behind it all was let's pick the brains of these guys that, that deal with it every day to see what they can share with the average guy like me on how to become a better duck hunter and better, uh, better waterfall hunter. And so, you know, I tried to look at the full gamut, you know, from the, from the, the, from the beginning of a hunting experience, you know, and, and one of the first tips I, I'll talk about is, is, you know, scouting and finding the X all the way through the end in terms of, you know, dealing with weather and, and, and things like that. And so I kind of wanted to give the, the reader a, a look at the full, a full hunting experience and what these guides can say to, to help uh, improve their, their success. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great approach. And, and you know, like we both said, I mean, these guys have seen it all, um, mm-hmm. everything throughout the whole hunting experience. And they probably had um, had the ups and the downs. And, and a lot of times they learn from doing it, like you said to me, even just observing. Um, they learn that process over, you know, sometimes decades of experience mm-hmm. guiding. So, um, yeah, you know, finding the X, you know, you mentioned that as the first one. That's super important. You know, we all know that you want to be where the ducks want to be. But, you know, who did you talk to for this one and, and what were they kind of explaining? Sure. For this, for this particular one, I spoke to my good friend Ben Fuyan here in South Dakota. And, and, you know, Ben is, is a veteran of hunting from, from Canada down to Arkansas and beyond. He's, he's, like you say, he's kind of seen it all. 
And, you know, and, and if there's one thing that I, you know, I, I lean on Ben a lot for our, our ideas about scouting, cause that seems like he is always, you know, he's always out there doing it. it yeah. He, he, he counts on his scouting, uh, you know, to put together hunts on a daily basis. And so I spoke with Ben about that and, you know, for him and a good way for, for hunters to think about scouting is to try to find a pattern and try to find a pattern of behavior that you can then insert your decoy spread or, or whatever within that pattern of behavior, you know, they're ducks where they're going from A to B on a daily basis, find that pattern and find a way where you can put yourself within it, you know, for a hunt. And, uh, you know, just for a starting point, I asked Ben, you know, what, where's, how do you start? What's, what's step one? And one of the big things that he, that he does is, you know, whether he's in an established area that he knows well, or if he's going into a new area, he tries to find those, those roost, roost areas where birds are feeling safe, where they're roosting at night. And then that's kind of the, the, what's is the springboard for the rest of his scouting, you know, that he'll follow those birds from the roost to the feed, um, or from the feed to a day roost. Um, and, and again, try to find that pattern of what those birds are doing from sun up till sundown. But it really starts at that roost spot. And so, you know, you're gonna look for major body water, uh, water bodies, uh, refuges. Um, you know, you can do some online scouting in terms of trying to find, you know, um, areas that historically tend to have bird numbers and that's a good place to start uh and so finding that x is 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 um or excuse me finding that finding the x starts by finding that roost and uh and then from there it's it's a it's a game of putting miles on the truck and uh, having a good pair of binoculars and a plat book you know with landowner names or a, or a um um, you know, an app on your cell phone, your smartphone, like Onyx or something like that, where you can track down the landowner name. Um, and then you can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But again, it, it really starts by, um, by f- finding where those birds are feeling safe and then building your experience off of that. Um, you know, if you, if you just happen to stumble upon a group of birds on a, on a, on a, a water body or a field or something like that, that may not, that may be a good place to start. Um, but sometimes that could just be a, a hiccup or a, or an anomaly in their schedule. And so, you know, finding that place where these birds are going back to day after day after day, um, you know, according to Ben, that's the, that's the best place to, or the best place to start. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing about that is once you get that pattern, um, and you're in an area that you're, maybe you're not too familiar with, you get that pattern down, you've really, you found the X and then, you know, the next day the weather patterns change or something like that. And all of that can change. So that's one thing to keep in mind, you know, that can change in an instant. And it's really just a a process of being vigilant with your scouting, really. And I think that's a great tip. Uh, You know, the next one is people talk about this all the time. You know, you see it online, you hear people, you know, even coffee shops, even around here in the office, hunting pressure. Um, hunting yeah. pressure is a big thing. And that was your next one. So kind of explain who you use for that one and, and how they approach the hunting pressure aspect of it. Sure. Well, I spoke to a guy named Rob Fidel. He's out of Utah. I mean, he hunts the Great Salt Lake quite a bit. And, you know, I've never been out there, but from everything that I, that I have, and I think maybe you've been out there before, Chris, is that obviously it's a big, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a big body of water. Um, but it, it can get some substantial hunting pressure just because I think for a lot of folks, it's a, it's a destination that people want to go to. And so I think there's, uh, you know, some substantial pressure that goes on the lake or in the sur- surrounding areas as well. Uh, you know, just given how close it is maybe to Salt Lake Metro and stuff like that. But it is a, um, hunting pressure is something that he deals with on a daily basis. And so, um, 
it, I guess his, the way that he looked at it though, is that it's, it's a, it's a reality. It's kind of a fact. And it's one of those things that he's going to have to deal with. And he kind of looks at it as a challenge, um, you know, to, that he likes to tackle. And I think he, you know, the thing he mentions first that, that in order to, to handle that hunting pressure is he likes to, to set himself apart from, whatever what everybody else is doing in the area and you know and that's and that's a tip that comes up so frequently you know in our conversations we've had here on the podcast and in other places that you know when whether you're dealing with pressured birds stale birds birds that have been around for in an area for a long time you know doing something different to set yourself apart is a great way to perhaps just change things up enough to uh to break their whatever habits they're in and 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 find some success again so that's that's kind of the first thing he does and he'll do that by downsizing decoy spreads or you know changing the kind of decoys that he's using uh you know even using maybe all coot decoys or uh anything that'll that'll help his decoy spread stand out and look different from others and if that doesn't work, he'll try something else and, and changing things until he finds something that does work. Um, and then I know he also talks about um, use of motion and how he'll change uh, how he's using that motion. And obviously, spinning wing decoys are very successful uh, at times. Um, but, you know, when if everybody's using them or, or ducks are becoming shy to them or whatever, pulling the motor, you know, pulling the spinning wing decoys and going back to a jerk string or something like that to add some motion or a flag, adding motion in a different way, something that's different than the next decoy spread over. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a, a pretty savvy tactic there is you're really, you're not necessarily setting the decoys for the ducks as much as you're setting it to look like something different that the ducks haven't seen or not, are not seeing, you know, especially some of these big public areas that are, that are pretty crowded. Um, you look out and everyone's throwing three dozen decoys and has two mojos going. You know, it's a, yep. it's a very similar thing. And it sounds like Rob's got a pretty good, pretty good handle on differentiating his decoys from the next guy over. And again, it's, it's not being afraid of, of, you know, you get, you get into a routine of, of this has worked for me and, and this is what I've seen other people do. And, but just not being afraid to try something different and it may not work one day. Uh, and you try something different the next day and, and finally you're going to find something that clicks. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, these guys that are out there, they have the luxury of, of being able to be out there every day trying different things. Um, but even for the guys that maybe are all, you know, whether you're a weekend warrior or only have a few days a week or a couple of days a week to hunt, um, you know, still being, you know, not being afraid to change things up to try to make yourself different from whatever else is doing. Yeah. Don't be scared to change it up. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. And, uh, and I'm also a big, I'm a big fan of the coot decoys. That's a, you know, <laughs> that's something that you'll get some, some side eyes from some coot decoys, you know, people looking at your spread and, but it's, uh, it's something that gives, gives the decoys a little bit different look and, and, and makes it stand out. I mean, I, I think the, just the dark aspects of those coot decoys really kind of jump sure. out to duck sometimes. So, um, Certainly something to keep in mind. Uh, the next one on your list here was something that I certainly wasn't thinking about, but it was, uh, you know, controlling your retriever. Um, explain this one. Sure. So Bill Schaefer, uh, the gentleman I spoke to, he is, uh, he hunts out of Grand Junction, Colorado, which is really on the way western edge of the central flyway for me. Um, and it's probably not a place where a lot of people think about duck and goose hunting, uh, but the Arkansas River flows through there. And I think it tends to stage quite a few Canada geese and ducks as well. And so Bill has kind of established himself as one of the, you know, one of the um, more successful hunters in that area. And then Bill also uh, runs high desert retrievers. Um, so he's a dog trainer. And so waterfall hunting and then the dog, the the dog, the retriever aspect of it for him are really, really, really important. And so, you know, he talked initially about, um, 
you know, when you're working with a dog uh, in the summer, you know, you really are, are work trying to work on things where they're going to transfer that skill from the training uh, to the field. And so, you know, doing things that are, uh, really related to how, what they're going to encounter in the field. And one of those that he talked about was, um, he uses, you know, for, for a lot of guys, um, uh, we put dogs in, in maybe an adjacent blind, you know, similar to like a layout blind, uh, um, something that's above the ground that you'll stubble out, things like that, or, or something that may sit up above the water. But Bill has the luxury of, of hunting out of some pits. And, uh, and when he's in that situation, he, he has built dog boxes that are below ground, um, so that, uh, he can kind of control when those dogs are, are, uh, are, are, to, when he, he can control to, to release those dogs for retrieve. And, you know, in his situation, he's hunting a lot of fields where there's very, very, very little cover. Uh, there's not a lot of vertical cover. And so hiding is, is the utmost importance. And so by putting everything underground, he helps, you know, concealment wise like that. And it also helps him to be able to keep dogs from, you know, from breaking or spooking birds, even, you know, a dog that may be inching out of his blind a little bit. If you've got one that sits on the ground, um, you know, but for those of us that are, um, you know, that don't have that luxury to hunt out of the, out of blinds or excuse me, out of, out of pits in the ground. You know, he talks about how one, it's just important that you are, that you're working with your dog beforehand with any sort of blind, um, that, uh, that you work on controlling that dog and that blind in a training situation so that it will then transfer to when you're hunting out in the field. And, um, it's, it's in, in any, in, you know, any tool that you're going to use for a dog really out in the field, you're going to want to, you're going to want to practice with it in the, uh, um, during the summer or during the off season. And so that's, that was kind of his deal. Just kind of, uh, um, making sure your dog is under control, but practice those things before you get to the field so that it's not a surprise, whether that's, you know, a, a stand uh, that you're using uh, um, or a, a blind in the ground or a, a regular kind of a layout style blind for dogs. No, that makes perfect sense. The last thing you want to do is get out there to a pit and try and force a dog into an underground, you know, dog box. I, I know, you know, even my dog would probably freak out if I was trying to shove her and something like that because she would have no idea what's going on. So yeah, the introductions early in the season, and we've done several podcasts on that with Mike Stewart, where we're introducing, you know, our retrievers to everything that you're they're going to experience. So it's not a surprise. So that's a good tip from Bill. And the one one thing I wanted to add to that, Chris, was that, you know, and Bill mentions it too, is that whatever concealment option you have for a dog some visibility of some way, you know, whether it's a screen or something like that, so the dogs can still uh, make some make marks, whether, you know, regardless of what kind of what kind of concealment they're in, you know, some sort of screen or something that allows them to, to mark birds. That's also a big plus. Yeah, that really helps. I've seen, you know, dogs that can't see out of blind sometimes, you know, you shoot and they don't, they're not seeing anything and they come out and they about to come out through the top of the blind or, you know, they have no idea what's going on when they get out there. Um, I've seen that several times. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. So that's a good tip. Uh, the next one you talked about is probably near and dear to every waterfowl hunter's uh, bag of tricks, uh, but it's coping with weather. And, you know, we face all all different levels of weather. So, uh, you know, kind of explain what this one is. 
Sure. So I talked to uh, Trevor Manteuffel and Trevor used to be in Seer in South Dakota with me. That's how I got to know him. And uh, he um, was able to uh, take over a guiding service up in Canada, Peace River, Alberta, which is at the top of the flyway. And and he has some tremendous opportunities up there for uh, for specs and for mallards, pintails, honkers, the whole nine yards. And, um, you know, so like I say in, in the article, bird numbers are typically bird abundance is typically not an issue for him but what is an issue with like it is for a lot of people is the weather it's the one thing that you can't control and in particular uh the one you know the one weather aspect that that probably um provides the most challenges is the wind and i think what stuck out to me uh, what trevor talked about is that you know when he is thinking about hunting a particular field in the morning if he has a wind direction that is not going to provide the best concealment that is that is going to be a hindrance rather than a help he will he will press pause on that plan and go to a backup plan to a field where the wind is maybe going to be uh, a little bit more in his favor and save that other field for another day when when the wind is uh when the wind is going to help him and that to me is is you know I you know we we think a lot about ice and cold and snow and heat and all those things but you know, managing your, your, your approach to the wind, you know, like Trevor talks about is, is pretty darn important. Yeah. It's probably, you know, one of the most important things and, you know, being a, you know, it sounds like he's, he's fortunate enough to where he can make that adjustment on the multiple fields, um, you know, just about any time he wants depending to, I guess he's moving with the wind direction. That's a, that's a good way to approach that. Yeah. But there are days where you may be stuck with it and, and you don't have another place to go, which is probably a situation a lot of us find ourselves in sometimes. And so he will, you know, if he, if he can't switch to another field, he's going to change his tactics in the tactics in the field. And that may mean, um, moving a spread up along a fence line where he can, where he can, uh, where the wind is going to give him a little better uh, cover uh, for the hunters. Um, and then the other one that I think is just, uh, again, is something that comes up quite frequently is, you know, if the wind is, is in a place where the sun is going to be, if you're going to try to keep the wind at your back, but that's going to keep, put the sun in your face or something like that, adjusting your spread and adjusting your blinds for a side, uh, a crossing shot rather than a, a straight in shot. And, um, you know, that, that is something that I know a lot of guides, a lot of, a lot of success hunters will do. Yeah, I've been on hunts like that where, you know, conditions, wind conditions are less than ideal. And, you know, everyone wants, you know, the, the picturesque, you know, decoying bird is coming right in and, you know, feet down right into the decoys in front of you. And, um, and I think what some real savvy duck hunters will understand is that it can't happen every time like that. Sometimes you're going to have to take that left to right or right to left. Um, sometimes they're even coming over your back shoulder kind of a weird way. But as long as you have your decoys set right, um, you can put them in that area, uh, put them within shotgun range, you know, even if it's not the most ideal approach. Uh, the next one here is preparing for success. And this is an interesting one. So, So exactly what is preparing for success? Sure. So I spoke with Dan Houck and Dan, uh, runs hunters out at Chesapeake Bay, uh, uh, in, uh, Maryland. And, you know, what Dan talked about is how his hunting conditions can vary, obviously from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, but really within, within a day, you know, within a, a morning, things can change really quickly. So he talked a lot about just being prepared to handle how things can change, whether that's water condition wise, uh, water depth wise, uh, hunting pressure, things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I guess stuck with me that, that he talked about was that, um, where uh, they try to hunt the edges of Chesapeake Bay as much as they can, just because it's a you know shallower water is a little bit easier to deal with. But um, there are times when 
whether it's hunting pressure or something like that, they've got to move into these river channels uh, that are much deeper and a little more dangerous. And just being prepared for that situation, whether that's having, you know, decoys that are rigged to handle that water depth, um, whatever safety equipment that you may need to have on board that's different than what you would need in a shallow water situation. And so that's, you know, I've, I've never had the pleasure of hunting the actual Chesapeake Bay itself. Um, but if I was going to do it, I would, I would want to go with somebody that, you know, that has those preparations in place um, because it, you know, as duck hunters know, water can be is you know water can be a dangerous place. Uh, you know when you're in a watercraft or in a boat, whatever, and and so having those precautions in place to to handle the safety side of it, as well as just the logistics of of actual the actual hunt itself, like I say through decoy lines or whatever. Yeah, I mean you're going from, you know, potentially using you know you you're not going to show up out there with 18 inch Texas rig decoys. You know you're going to have to have <laughs> you're going to have to be prepared to make that adjustment to deep water. So and I've run into that before. You know, growing up in the Midwest, we're hunting. Sometimes we're hunting uh, inch deep. You know, agricultural field, and then the next day we're hunting. Uh, you know, an old strip pit that's you know 100 feet deep. You know, and so and drops off quick. There's not much of a shoreline. You know, so. Uh, you know, I've had to had to prepare decoys in that manner before where you're switching back and forth or you just have one set. You just have you just be prepare for the deepest water, I guess, is what we always exactly. do. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, the next one on the list is finishing late season ducks. And we've had entire features, you know, written on this on how to finish ducks. Um, and you talked to Rusty Creasy here in Arkansas, but, you know, kind of explain what Rusty had it has to say about finishing these late season difficult ducks. Sure. Well, I think, you know, the first thing that, that comes to mind as I think about Rusty and what he said is that his approach to late season ducks really starts at the beginning of the season. And, you know, obviously Rusty's in a situation where he can, um, you know, he's dealing with a group of birds on a property or something like that, but they're, they are early in the season when they've got birds, they are never hunting the concentration, the big numbers. They're hunting the fringe. So they're impacting, um, you know, impacting those birds uh, as, as minimally as possible. And, you know, never, never um, spending a lot of time hunting the, the bigger, bigger concentration of birds on a property. We don't all have that luxury. You know, sometimes we're, we're dealing with, uh, you know, in a situation where you, you don't have that, that luxury in terms of, of, of uh, keeping the pressure off them early in the season. And so, um, again, it kind of goes back to something we talked about earlier is he starts to do things, you know, later in the season when, when, you know, these birds have, have flown up and down the flyway and they've seen just about everything, you know, throughout the fall, doing something different than they've seen before. Um, you know, and so Rusty, he will put the duck call down. Uh, you know, he'll really cut down on the amount of calling that he does. Uh, if birds are doing what he wants to do, he'll just be, he'll stay quiet. Um, he'll, he'll move his, um, his motion in the decoys uh, from, you know, maybe right in the middle of the hole off uh, to the side and the periphery where maybe the birds are just going to catch a flash of, mo of motion from time to time. Again, making it look different than, than what they've seen earlier on. Um, getting rid of motion decoys altogether, going to the jerk string, um, you know, just doing something different um uh than what uh, those birds are used to seeing and you know again that's that's a common theme that we hear uh from from different guides for different things and you know I trust Russie cuz he uh the guy knows how to get it done and and um but again not being afraid to do something different yeah just changing it up you know giving it a different look giving some different motion very similar you know those are the types of adjustments that you really you know especially us hunters down here in the south we 
um, late, late in the season, these ducks are doing different things. Their behavior pattern changes. Um, you know, weather becomes a much more, you know, impactful thing. So we really having to try and they've been pressured for six months. So, you know, sometimes we're really pulling every, every trick we have out of the bag. And it sounds like I'm sure Rusty has a handful of those. Exactly. Last one here on the list is building permanent blinds. And this is, um, something that not every hunter has the opportunity to do, but, um, it's something that, you know, it can be very beneficial. So kind of explain where building permanent blinds pays into this for, uh, you know, these guys. Sure. So I talked to Tony Vanamore. Tony is a, a guy I've known for a long time and I've had the, you know, the pleasure to hunt with him a few times down at his place in Missouri. And, um, you know, they more often than not, if you're, if you're hunting with Tony, you're hunting out of a permanent blind. And, you know, for a guy like me that grew up in South Dakota where I was, hugging a muskrat hut or leaning behind a tree or, you know, something like that, or behind some cattails. The first time I hunted out of a permanent blind, I was like, holy smokes, this rocks, you know, I mean, you're up and out of the water. You can have breakfast. You can, you know, you can sit down on a bench. You can do all these things. You got a heater going, whatever. And so they are, you know, permanent blinds certainly have their place, um, you know, for, uh, for waterfall hunting. And, and one of the things that, uh, that Tony talked about in terms of putting up blinds, they're, they're constantly looking for, for, for new locations for blinds at, at Habitat Flats. Um, and when they're trying to pick out new locations, you know, if they develop a new hole in the woods or a new spot, they're going to give it a season or two before they're going to put up a blind in that, in that spot, just to kind of see how the birds treat it. And so that they are, they can put that blind in the best possible spot to take advantage of typical bird behavior, typical wind direction and the sun. And so those are, those are things that, um, that, uh, that he, that, 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 that he will do. Take your time, make sure you're going to put it up in the right spot because there are a lot of work to, to put in. And then the other thing is, is he talks about, you know, the direction of the blind itself. Um, you know, he, I know he talks about when they, uh, put a pit in a, in a flooded cornfield, he likes to run that north and south. Uh, which gives him the having, he has the option then to have the sun at his back for a morning or afternoon hunt. Um, for any blinds they put into a timber hole, they typically will have that sun come on over the right shoulder or right at the back. So they're going to put it at the east or the kind of the southeast corner of the hole. Uh, so that that sun is always in his, um, is, is in his favor and not coming into his eyes. Yeah, because the last thing you want to do is have a bunch of mallards come in and you can't see any of them. Exactly. <laughs> last couple of times I've been up there, it hasn't been real sunny though. I was up there at snow a couple of years ago and it was, uh, we just certainly didn't have to worry about the sun on those mornings, but it was still fantastic. Something that's not in the article that Tony always talks about with his blinds too is that upkeeping them throughout the season. You know, they, they cut brush, you know, they're cutting oak, oak limbs early in the, in the, uh, before the, the trees have dropped their leaves, before they've turned color even. And so those leaves tend to stick onto the branches longer throughout the season, but they're constantly cutting brush, uh, or, or they have a, a, a stash of, of brush that they've cut that they'll use to doctor up the blinds throughout the season. Um, you know, hunters getting in and out of the blind, dogs getting in and out of the blind, you know, that the cover can deteriorate on those permanent blinds. And so always being sure to, to take uh, take the time and, and dress things up again when it needs it. Yeah, that's a very good tip. And, you know, as far as that's our, you know, that was the seven tips from guides. But, you know, just one thing that I wanted to throw in there that I was thinking is, as you were talking about all these, and, and I've I've hunted seven, been on many different guided hunts all over the country. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that I always, I always like to remind people is that if you show up like at the boat ramp or the lodge and the guide is wearing like huge winter gloves, 
Like, take note of that because that means because whatever you're going to do, it's going to be very cold. <laughs> or, you know, they have <laughs> a right. big hat or, you know, they're, they're definitely in, you know, chest waders and everyone else is wearing, you know, hip waders. Like, yeah, yeah, you should probably have some chest waders on. If the guide is wearing this or the guide <laughs> is doing this one thing, take notice of that and make sure you do, you, you know, you know, you prepare just like the guide has because he's out there every single day and he knows how to protect from the elements or from anything that could potentially go wrong out there. So, so definitely pay attention to your guide. And and uh, and and follow in their lead as far as comfort because that that's a that's a good tip for me I guess I always always think about that yeah exactly don't guide the guide that's the other one too you know that's uh, they uh, you know if it, if it's you know I know hunting guides can run the gamut you know just like anybody else and but if you go with a reputable um, operation if you're dealing with a guide you know chances are this you know this person has been like we said they're out there day after day um they 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 know what they're doing and um you know if they if they say you know we're going to try this this way uh let it play out and see because that maybe there's something they know that you don't and um um it's it's uh just one of those one of those things that always stuck in my mind is that you don't guide the guide yeah, if it's uh, if you're doing it, there's a there's a reason you're doing it because uh, they only benefit from your success. That's exactly right. They're going to do everything they can to get you on the dog. So it's another good tip. Well, John, this has been great. It's been a great conversation, and I think uh, something that you know everybody can take a little bit away. Something whether you have the opportunity to build permanent blinds or not, or you know just coping with the weather tips like that. Um, I think everyone can take something away from from this conversation. So I appreciate you joining me today. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to thank my guest, John Pullman, Ducks Limited Magazine and Ducks Outdoor Contributor, for joining us today and enlightening us on the seven tips from guides. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for doing a great job of getting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.